Hey everyone, welcome back to Rally Caps. It's a podcast for artists, entrepreneurs, and everybody in between. I'm Steven. And I'm Eric. And today we are talking about our experience working on our very first feature narrative film. There is a lot for us to talk about here, so we are going to organize the episode into three distinct parts. Eric, what are those parts? The first one is logistics, like the length of the production, number of actors and crew, and how big of a production it was, how we conquered shooting on a budget, uh, and then locations. Yep. Number two? Gear. We're going to talk about all the cameras and lenses that we used, what we liked and disliked about all of that, how we filmed some of the movie underwater, which was super fun, and also how we did all the audio and booming, which was not as fun. <laughs> and lastly? Uh, lessons. How, when, why, and if we will shoot another feature, uh, ours or someone else's. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a long episode as well, so pour yourself a cup of coffee and... While you're doing that, if you could leave us a quick rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or subscribe to the YouTube channel if you happen to be watching on YouTube right We're, now. We have a three-cam setup This today. is a three-cam setup today. It's going to be a fun <laughs> one, one. two, three, three, two, one. Three, two, one. Let's go. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Good transition. <laughs> Sick. All right, part okay. one. Well... Oh, actually, okay. Wh whose film is it, Yeah, uh, <laughs> let, let, let's start with that. Let's give a little bit of context. Eric, I think... Maybe it'd be helpful to do a little bit of like how and why we even found ourselves working on this first feature narrative film. In my wedding filmmaking career, mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine, Kaylin Rome uh, and Christy Rome, they asked me to. They asked me to be the. Why am I blanking on the name of what it is? It's a speaker, not speaker, the, mentor. The the oh. MC of oh. of uh, their wedding filmmaking event. Oh, Venture. Venture. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So cool. I, I emceed Venture for like three years in a row, and that's where I met Jay Worsley, who is the director of Rerun. The writer and director, Jay Worsley. This is uh, who we shot the film for. Jay and I met uh, through that workshop and in that filmmaking world. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he was transitioning out of shooting weddings and getting more into commercial narrative stuff. He uh, brought his red to one of the ventures. That was like the first time I'd ever seen a red. Okay, yeah. And throughout the years, we've just kept up. We've kept on a, up on a personal level. And uh, from time to time, Jay has reached out to me and wanted to work on different projects. So uh, we did a spec commercial for Nike uh, where I was the lead. And he came back to Chicago to do production for another commercial shoot yep. that we DP'd. And he shot in studio here. Yes. And then that ultimately led to Rerun. Rerun, the name of the film that we worked on. And he has four or five movie scripts, mm -hmm. but Rerun was the one he wanted to do first. So this first feature film, he's 39 years old. Yes. Yeah. Which is still pretty young. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. Like, I think he was kind of like, it's about time he's I like, actually I do it. I think one of his exact quotes to us during production was like, if I don't do this now, I won't ever do it. So I'm just going to do so it. So I have to do it now. Yeah. So that's the context. Uh, but he asked us in the midst of the, like the, the most chaotic moment of our careers in yes. doing the documentary, mm -hmm. uh, Joe's documentary. Which and we didn't know at the time when he asked us about it because rewind back to February of 2023. Just get rerun it back to uh, February of 2023 is when he chatted with us about it because he was in town for work. You're so good with dates. I would never be able to pinpoint that. I remember it because it was a Saturday and I was wearing a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so that meant it was cold. You had me for a second. Which means <laughs> <laughs> I'm completely serious though. It was February. <laughs> and I was wearing a, a sweater. I was wearing my Chris Evans uh, knives out sweater. Nice. Yes. <laughs> So you are being serious. I'm being completely serious. Okay. It sounds like I'm being funny because yeah. that's what my brain over works. Here. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he asked us and we basically were like, that sounds awesome. Yep. It sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like another next move in our careers. Uh, it feels like it's too good of an opportunity to pass up because he asked both Steven and I to like co-DP the yes. whole project. Yep. And we were like, okay, yes, but it can't be soon. It needs to be later in the year, and if you bring the production to Chicago, we'll do it. Yes. That was basically the only way we could do it was if it all happened in Chicago. And it was to everyone's benefit because we obviously have our studios, plural, here in Chicago, and 
a whole studio full of people that were interested and willing to help on the project. So having cast, crew, locations, some locations at least, locked in by doing it in Chicago, plus all of our gear, C-stands, lights, heavy, heavy stuff, it made a lot more sense for us to just do everything here versus trying to transport all of us and, out of Chicago. And absolutely cheaper for Jay. So much cheaper. Uh, so for, much For that cheaper, reason, but yes. also the fact that Chicago is just going to be wildly cheaper than mm. L.A. or New York. Yes. Yeah. Um, and m the, m the main bulk of actors on set were from L.A. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So flying them out to Chicago was still, and housing them here was still cheaper than having rentals and space rentals and gear rentals in LA. Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which we'll get into. Yeah, no, actually that's a really good transition into the first logistics. part of the episode, which is logistics. So uh, let's chat about, because we're already on that kind of topic. February 2023 is when the ask happened. We agreed. Co-DPs for the project. Super excited. Yeah. Can't wait. Not a ton happens for the first, maybe like four or five months. It was really summer of 2023 when things started to ramp up as far as pre-production is concerned. And obviously Jay told us the idea of the movie. We weren't just yeah. like, yeah, we'll shoot oh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the concept Anything was you super want. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Jay's track record of working with us and just what he had already made. It felt like a really good partnership in that he was very, obviously very fresh to making a movie for the first time. And we were very fresh too. Yes, shooting a full-blown feature yep but both of us having extensive experience in both short mm -hmm. narrative and commercial work and youtube yes. and a multitude of gear to pull from and, and with jay specifically like yeah. that nike project you right. mentioned and the other uh, short commercial that we shot over the course of two or three days um it just gave us almost practice reps to work with jay in that capacity uh so it was a nice way to kind of just like get to know each other beyond friends and more of like a director to DP yeah. level. So pre-production really starts to ramp up in the summer of 2023, around July, August, September. That's when things start to get pretty, pretty crunchy as far as deadlines and timelines are concerned. Mm -hmm. um, the big thing, probably the largest pain point, I would say, was locking in locations. Yes. And you found an incredible website yes. that helped us immensely with yes. that. We didn't know it existed. No. I think it's pretty standard in the filmmaking world the more we talk to people. Yeah. But like if, if you're like us and you're pretty fresh to it, yeah. the place is called Gigster. Yep. G-I-G-G-S-T-E-R. Yep. Basically Airbnb for production. Amazing. Incredible place. Hugely helpful website. It's so cool. Yeah. Tons of resources. If you live in a major city, there's just so many options mm -hmm. and like... You can search anything. This isn't sponsored by them or anything. Yeah, that did sound like it. You found an incredible website, huh? Yeah, you can build your website with it. Gigster. 10% off Relicaps code. Um, it's free. Yeah. The service is free. Yeah, it's great. And you just book like Airbnb. And um, what's really cool is, you know, we'll get into it with one of the places we booked. But then you can have, you can develop a personal relationship with the person that you booked and there's one place that we definitely want to go back to. Yeah. And oh my gosh, we yeah. now have a personal relationship with the owner yes. or like we can forego any fees or maybe do a special deal just by like having each other's contact info now. So mm -hmm. even just on a, a networking level too, like mm -hmm. having those resources and people like that who offer, um, you know, their home that's insanely eclectic and meant for stuff like this are most likely going to know other people and have resources for you uh, when you move forward and need different uh, bookings, different locations. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Because, yeah, she has, like, tons of friends that kind of do the same thing in yeah. different cities. Yeah, they, they were awesome. That was a really fun day. Um, so Gigster was huge mm -hmm. for that. Um, number of different locations that really brought a lot of life and color to the film. And just, you know, I think when you're looking at a film like from the outside, like before you even started shooting, it's hard to appreciate how much just like a different set piece brings to a film or like how many locations are scattered throughout yeah. a film. You can kind of get just get like lost in whatever's going on on screen. But if you like look at it almost like block for block, it's like, no, like if, if you were to shoot all this in one space, like it's really hard to make oh, yeah. few locations look good and dynamic. Right. And just having all of these different palettes to pull from really gave so much life and dimension and sold the reality that we were trying to build. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, full transparency logistics wise, like this was very much Jay's first time doing this stuff. Yeah. And so he asked us to be a lot of the 
production side of it. Yes, it's around this time that we became basically the producers for the film as well, not just co-DPs, which is what we were originally brought on to do. Uh, And because we knew the city better and because our boots were on the ground here and Jay was based in Arizona, it did make sense for us to be doing some of this stuff because we had closer access to it. But admittedly, it went way more than what we initially anticipated. Um, So that was a little difficult trying to juggle all of that as well as our schedules that we did have of other work. Yeah, which was like already so much stuff. Yeah. I don't know how we actually fit it all in <laughs> to be perfectly there, there honest. There were points where like I didn't I didn't realize we were going to be signing up for that in that capacity. Yeah. You were taking the lead on it and I it, just felt so bad. I mean, but it all balanced out in the yeah, end, but like I was able to pull weight later <clears throat> on, but like in the middle of the summer I was like, "Wow, I did not know we were going to need to And it, then you just you're slapped with the reality of how massive of a thing this is. Yeah. Yeah, um, even a small indie film is huge undertaking. So, so many logistics. So like continuing on then, locations. We had all this locked in between our studio, some of the gigster locations, and also using some of our friends' uh, locations, like apartments and things like that to kind of have some home interiors. We also had- My house uh, too. Your house as well. Uh, We, I think shot everything, I tallied it up. It was nine days total of production. Mm -hmm. We had an average crew of, average I'm saying, Five people a day. <laughs> and that's including us and the director, Jay, and then two PAs. Yeah. I would say that's average. There were other days where we had more, you know, crew of maybe 12. Like first night at the bar. First night at the bar. Um, there was another uh, longer day at the studio that we had a number of extra hands on set filming one of the um, first interactions with one of the uh, main kind of colorful, quirky characters, like a very eccentric doctor in the film. We had a lot of people in studio that mm-hmm. day shooting, which was awesome. Um, so very, 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 very streamlined crew. And then I, I actually don't know the total number of actors that were involved in some with like little side roles and everything. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was 12 to 15 at most. I, I'd say closer to 12. Yeah, yeah 12. Yeah. Um, and then one of the nights, which was very fun, like the first night of shooting, we had, I think, like 30 extras show yeah. up for a bar scene, which was two of, so cool. Two of which were my students. <laughs> they, one of, yeah, one of them was one I of my it. students right. from when I taught. It, like, like taught, in taught. a school. Yes, like a public so school. Like he was in seventh there. grade when, he, when I taught him, <laughs> and now he's like 23, and he shows up. Um, and they were both on the basketball team That's I coached. <laughs> And they're both interested in a filmmaking career. So it was just like, oh, the, really? The trippiest thing. Yeah, Luke and Zach, shout out. Luke DM'd me like a month prior and then he just showed up that night and I was like, no way. So that was really cool. That's and incredible. I don't know. Throughout the, a lot of this stuff, I just keep reflecting on the idea of like how cool it is to talk about a project like this, but none of those experiences and none of this discussion happens without taking the jump and the leap and doing something really scary and really out of the box. Yes. And I think the past two years for us has been that. Yes. We can get more into the philosophy of all that and what it's done to us and for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, all things considered, I mean, we were talking to the actors on set because they've been in indie stuff before too. Yes. And uh, Baker was like, yeah, most indie films I've been on that are, that are feature really only are like a week of production. Right. And I was blown away by that. I was yeah. like, really? Because yeah. I thought nine days was nothing. Because I mean, we're It look- felt like nothing. Well, we're looking at Danny's production of mm. I Think I'm Sick, and they did 33 days? I think it was it was 20, 23 in total with some splinter days oh, and some okay. extra stuff. And I thought up, it was in the 30s. I think it ended up being less than 30. Okay. Um, but still, you know, three, three and a half-ish weeks versus... Right. A week and two days. But everything was on his set was far uh, and he was still very much indie. Yes. And Jay described rerun as like a micro, micro indie film. Yeah, I mean, budget-wise, yeah. if you take that into consideration, it's it's below what a micro budget is considered, right. even. I don't even like under fifty thousand dollars or something is like not even considered. Yeah. A budget. Right. He had he had some way of saying it where he's like, Yeah, we basically don't even exist. I'm yeah. like, Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> so I guess we were, you know, maybe a third of the production of Danny's as far as yeah. time to yes. to produce it. Yes. Which was crazy. And the, there was also probably not even probably, there was absolutely months more of pre production as well. 
which is a huge component for him because of the size of what they were doing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like getting a location like a real high school yeah. is much more challenging than just booking a pool. Especially know? when the subject matter is a lot more intense. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. he went into length on right. one of our recent episodes. I think it was episode 54. Uh, we had a yeah, the really fun chat with him. Like, no. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, we don't want the any, the content there? any no. swearing, any yeah. nudity, yeah. any self-harm topics, anything like that. It's like hard no He's immediately. Like, well. It's like, well, that's all of what I'm doing. <laughs> so um, yeah, go check out that episode if you are interested in hearing how that production went. Um, yes. So I think the last portion of logistics is that just a blanket statement the way that we conquered shooting on a budget, what we already talked about so far is finding relatively cheap spots on Gigster to use, uh, borrowing friends' apartments and places that we already owned, like Eric's house, to save on rental costs there, and then using places that we already pay for, which is our studio up here and the one down below. Uh, huge cost savings insofar as rentals are concerned, as well as all of the equipment that we already owned, lighting, C-stands, gaff, uh, grip, all that type of stuff. Um, huge cost savings there as well. So just pitching in our own things to the production. And then lastly, just full transparency, all of us were just taking a pay cut and being there because we wanted to be there for mm -hmm. this thing. Um, that's really the only way stuff like this happens, I think, is like you have to get people that are on board that are going to do it for less than what their time is worth because they want to just be there mm -hmm. for it. Um, so, yeah, it was... Insane. Yeah, it was insane. It was absolutely insane. I'm like, I was flashing back to like being in the thick of it again. Um, it was a nutty thing for us to do and to take on, but that is basically all logistically what happened for us. Um, I will also mention that there was, I'm just remembering now, a 10th day of production that we were not a part of that yes. happened in Arizona uh, that Jay spearheaded with um, Seth, Seth Dunlap. Right? Yeah, yep. Seth. He DP'd uh, Seth Dunlap. Yep, for that scene there. And um, we are not a part of post-production at all Correct. either. Um, we do or we will have an equity stake in the film. That is part of our compensation for doing it uh, on a you know slightly lower budget than we normally would. And I think that wraps up all the logistics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess the last thing is like a lot of the a lot of booking happened last minute just because of mm. crazy logistics happening. Whether it was because we were, you know, changing some of the script on the fly or mm -hmm. different things falling through or only available for certain times and definitely finding ourselves in positions where we're like getting kicked out but have to just keep shooting. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and yep. I think that's yeah, probably yeah. always going to be what you encounter with an indie film. Like, yep. And, you know, with a big budget comes extra minds and brain power mm -hmm. uh, to plan more efficiently and since we were on such limited resources mm -hmm. and we're so spread thin the mm -hmm. two of us on producing a lot of it there were times where we're just like jay would have to step out of the room and go have a conversation with whoever was you know renting the space we were renting the space from mm -hmm. and then we were left kind of just directing the rest of that scene yeah we and, did get some of our um directing practice yeah. in for some stuff just to kind of cover gaps yep. in that regard but definitely. in that sense like jay trusted us enough to like be in the room and and really kind of direct yep in that scenario yep um which is nice to have that trust uh, uh amongst people on the set absolutely yeah. yeah you you need that for for any project any production but especially one of this size for sure like that's a that's a necessary part of what you're doing and i do want to give a, a quick shout out to uh, zach from moonflower bar yeah. for being the most gracious host for us and a last parting tip for booking a location for something like this if you are maybe taking on something like this for your own short film or feature film or something along those lines um, if you need a bar or a restaurant reaching out to places that fit aesthetically that are closed on certain days and catering production around that is a lot easier to swing than places that are open seven days a week. Well, the first bar that we reached out to, super convenient location. It's right down the street from the studio. They were super kind in the way that they turned me down, which I really appreciate it. But they also gave like a tip. They're like, hey, we would have loved to host you, but we just like, we can't. We'd have to charge you an exorbitant amount to close down, to basically pay you know, losses to pay our staff, like to cut a day of work. 
we would recommend reaching out to places that are nearby still, but are just like closed two days a week and working on a closed day because that makes a lot more sense for them. It's a massive paycheck for them yeah. on a day they don't have any income. Exactly. Yep. So it works out great for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. Gear. Dude, part two. Gear. Who doesn't love gear? <laughs> the best. Am I right? Dude, we love it. Yeah. <laughs> Except red. Shots <laughs> fired. Except red. <laughs> Which is our main camera on production. Yeah. <laughs> I had, I had a, we, I think we both had, it's fair to say, a love-hate relationship with that camera. Um, mostly hate. Mostly hate. Yeah, we had, we, so our main A cam for all of Rerun was a red V-Raptor 8K VV. That's the full frame version. And that was Jay's decision, not ours. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yes. Because he has a lot more experience with red than we do. And also I think for legitimacy Red obviously has a huge pull, like the name evokes quality. I w I, like logistically probably wouldn't have chosen that if it was up to us. No. What would you have chosen? Um, if no budget. Uh, no budget? No budget. I mean, to be honest, I think I would have chosen something in the Canon ecosystem really? only because I know that. Function. I think a, a large part of our pain with it was the fact that we've never shot Red before and also that they're... Glitchy and unreliable. C500 um, Mark II? Yeah, so, like C700 probably. Ah. Some, something like that. Um, but simply because we have been using Canon cameras for over a decade. Like we understand the interface and we know how to operate them. Yeah. And because, I'm saying this specifically, if we had more time, you know, an Airy Alexa Mini yeah. LF kind of thing. Right. But for this, because we got the camera a day before we were supposed to start shooting, it's like, well, if that's going to be the case, I would have preferred something that, I already am kind of familiar with or like familiar adjacent with just enough to know, you know, Canon has their own language. All camera brands do definitely would have just chosen for the sake of convenience, something that it was in the Canon ecosystem. But we knew enough and had enough experience with a good enough amount of cameras yeah. that it wasn't too difficult. It wasn't too difficult. The navigation really, wasn't like a deal breaker. It was more so what seemed to be just like general unreliability. Just how it functioned. Yeah. Like if it always functioned correctly, then yeah. Well, the biggest issue is we were shooting an HQ. Well, that was a big issue, At but first. also battery power. Whatever battery pack thing was on that was not reliable. We had huge issues with like having to rip the battery off and like put new ones. Like, remember the first day? And it would drain fast. It would because we were on HQ. HQ, which of wow. M MQ. Okay, I'm going in hot on yeah. red. Anyway, to start. so okay, full frame. Full frame. It's an RF lens mount, which is great. Uh, because we were already renting lenses, which we'll talk about in a sec, but on the off chance something happened to those, for whatever reason, we have a whole studio full of RF lenses. Yeah. So there's a fail-safe there, yeah. which is awesome. Um, 17 plus stops at dynamic range, wild, shoots 8K, um, gorgeous colors, great sensor, a lot of really good stuff about it. And I think mentioning 8K is important here because a lot of people on YouTube and other places will generally talk about 8K in regards to like hypey camera specs mm -hmm. and how, oh, this does 8K, this does that or the other. And most of the time I agree with that. It's not very practical mm -mm. for most people to do that. Mm -hmm. For this situation, it was actually a huge boon for us because 8K in this sense allowed us to effectively get multiple angles if we really needed to out of one shot because this is such a run and gun indie production we can't really always afford to do a ton of takes per angle that we're shooting. Mm -hmm. So 8K with all that resolution, we could afford to punch in if we really needed to, to make things look different or interesting or just have some variety. And that was like a legitimate benefit of shooting 8K. Yeah. Now, Eric, did we need to shoot 8K HQ? No. <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> <laughs> not even slightly. Well, yeah, we found out 8K <laughs> HQ is really for, um, for visual effects in yes. like Marvel movies, basically. Yes. Like you really, if you're only doing that crazy stuff in post. Yeah. And so switching to MQ on what, day four or I, five? I'm, Jay finally did? I think we shot the first five days, which is the first week, all in HQ. Well, he probably just started to feel the pain of how much data it was. Well, because he came back, he, he looked it up, and he was like, oh my gosh, we didn't need to be shooting in this the entire time. I mean, like, better better that you're shooting higher quality than lower quality. For sure. But but, uh, but to put it I'm, in perspective, do, the battery drain and storage was 
insane yeah. on HQ. Like it was a substantial difference I mean, switching from H to M. On set, we were like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want to be shooting this all in 8K? He's like, yep, we're good. I'm like, he ended up with 16 terabytes. Um, but That is actually crazy for the amount that we shot. Yeah, because the dock, our dock was 14, but it was over the course of an entire year. Year and a half. Year yeah, and a half. it was. Yeah. And like at least 20 to 25 different days of shooting. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, wild. Yeah, wild very, stuff. very happy Jay looked into that because truly, like the the amount of battery swapping was so irritating, and even just like, well, we had like a dozen V mount batteries, <coughs> so we were able to do. We it, really but. needed that, but we did get to a point within the first like two to three days where it was getting dicey at times, and we were hot swapping right off the charger. Yeah, and that was not a comfortable feeling. And data nope. also swapping was a tricky thing because again we are short on time and the uh, v raptor every time you power up power down it's like a full 60 to 90 second process yeah which doesn't sound like much but when you're doing that over and over and over again that adds up to a lot of minutes lost mm-hmm. and we were trying our best to just be efficient with our time so love hate relationship yeah and with, with that camera okay so that was the main camera yep b, b cam. camera yep just an R5. R5. Canon R5, RF 15 to 35, 2.8, and a Sigma 51.4, which and we where only did we used. Only used it in one specific yes. scenario. Which was underwater. Yes. In an Ike Light, I K E L I T E 200 DL underwater housing. We only used that for two and a half hours, I in, think. In the pool. For one scene. Yep. And we got that pool last minute. Yeah. We Jay was like, we we <clears throat> struck out with pools for weeks. Dude, months even. I yeah, that was frustrating. Really hard, especially because it was getting too cold. So we couldn't use outdoor yeah. pools. We didn't want to shoot in the lake because it was too cold. Yep. Because he did do an outdoor lake scene with, with Baker. <laughs> Poor Baker. And yeah. it was really difficult. Yeah. Uh so doing any underwater there, because we originally talked about shooting it in September, which would have been warm enough. And just taking like a 1200D out to the lake with a spot and just blasting it at night through the water. Um, Even then, looking back at this, that would have been really difficult as well and probably kind of dangerous. Very, (laughs) very definitely. (laughs) Um, So we're thankful for what we did end up getting, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a, a pool. Uh, from a connection that Bean had, yes. which was incredible. Yeah, um, great location. Yeah, really so, swanky actually. Yeah, it's really nice. And we had the pool like all to ourselves. Yeah, so it was an indoor pool at uh, an apartment building <laughs> that was like two blocks from where uh, Laura and I used to live in Streeterville, which was very fun. Uh, what do we do to deck out that pool? So we used a huge muslin cloth that was twenty foot by ten foot, and we put it on the far end of the pool and draped it into the pool. It was. It, w- it wasn't ideal depth. It was only four feet I think deep. so, yeah, yeah. So, and we really wanted to, Jay really wanted to get this shot of Baker like really suspended in water. Like he was just kind of floating in like 30 feet of water mm-hmm. in nothingness, which thankfully what we were able to get, he was able to in post just kind of extend it out with blackness. Mm-hmm. And it very much looks like what we were trying to go for. Yep. So we had an R5 and we ended up not even shooting an 8K raw. No. We shot it in 4K log three. Yep. Um, Big reason for that is because of the overheating issues in 8K. And when you take that and compound it into an underwater housing that is airtight, we thought that would just kind of make the camera explode. Completely melt the (laughs) thing. (laughs) Yeah. So and he actually very quickly was like, you know what? I think I just want to do this whole sequence in black and white, which made it all much easier. It's like, okay, yeah, we don't need all the bells and whistles. As Very far as happy with that creative decision. Goes. I think yeah. that made a lot of sense. Well, especially because like the way we lit it, you could still see some of the ripples in the black fabric. Yeah. And so, again, you you just have to... And there was like just no way around that. No. With the depth of the pool, with the way the light was hitting, we just we kept making micro adjustments to just get it to the best we could. And then even just takes, it's like Baker can only go so long with a breath. We could only go so long with a breath. Um, it's very buoyant, like the whole setup's really buoyant. So it's kind of always forcing you up. So we just, every time we did a take, I would be above water if Steven was operating camera and I would be like pushing the front element of the housing down so that you didn't have to focus on like fighting it while trying to film 
Because you're also trying to keep your natural buoyancy of your body down yeah. as well, which is like the whole thing is like just a fight against gravity. But that's where it was really helpful to have an R5 because we could keep autofocus on yeah. Baker and then it's just tracking him. I actually, well, no, I do know how he would have. There is a follow focus in the underwater housing, but it would have been so much, so harder. much harder to have because then it would have been shared. Like you would have been follow focusing. I would have been hold. like it would have been a whole a whole ordeal. Again, if you have 20 people on set, sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, if, you, if you have a location for two days and you can take as many take, we had it for three hours. I, I do wish, like, it, in an ideal world, you could get, like, the lenses we did use or even crazier lenses in a setting like that and someone was pulling focus. Dude. The images you could get were, would just be absurd. Not saying that they weren't absurd, what we got. Like, yeah, they were awesome. Because most people aren't even willing to go that far mm -hmm. to get underwater to do the thing yeah um so how did how did we light it so we used an aperture 1200d pro and we also attached the aperture spotlight to the front element of the light to just completely make it a sun <laughs> it was so insanely bright um that thing is a, a monster it is such a cool light i really want to own one now that was such a joy to use that yeah. thing. It was really cool. Oh, and us just being dumb, like not knowing that we needed a different stand for it the first day. So we just like uh, jerry-rigged it to two C stands. Brother. Okay, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Uh, if you are going to use a light of that size, you need a lollipop to attach that to your C stand. Because, God, I if we have a photo of the, uh, the office scene. I was pretty proud of that. that <laughs> That needs to go we, on shitty rigs. We, we, it really does. We will throw up that photo here so you can see it because we just didn't know. And we ended up sending someone to um, Atlas Lighting. Shout rentals. out Atlas. Shout out Atlas for dealing with our dumb butts. <laughs> <laughs> um, they must have been like, I feel so stupid when I picked everything up because they were like, all right, so you sure this is everything you need? I'm like, yep. <laughs> totally. The next day. Hey, so um, you need a lollipop. You need a lollipop. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So hey, <laughs> you live and you learn, and uh, very happy that our rental was like ten minutes away from where we were shooting. So that was basically the entire underwater setup. Lenses outside of water, dude. Lenses on land. <laughs> on land, on land dude. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> um. <laughs> With the red, dude. <laughs> With the red, dude. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> if you haven't watched the banana bread meme, you need to. <laughs> anyway. So main lenses on land were a set of rehoused Canon rangefinder lenses. What uh, kind of mount are those, Steven? They are rehoused to RF. And what were they originally? No M idea. M, right? Oh, actually, well, hang on. No, no they were M. They were F they were M. They were FD. Mm, I, they were a Canon mount originally because they're a Canon lens. So FD or somewhere in that range. But then they were actually rehoused to an M mount. M. And then we had R oh, uh, M to RF. RF. Which felt silly because on the website, there were RF native versions of them. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, not our decision. <laughs> not a decision, but I, that was hilarious to me. But yes, so but an RF mount is so versatile that it, you can adapt to really anything. I have a lot of complaints with some Canon gear, but the RF mount is genius. It makes me want to explore so much more with the C70, dude. It's awesome. Or if we end up getting whatever, if they ever announce yeah. what the next camera is going to be, yep, the, the C200 Mark II. Yeah, rumored. It's been rumored for two years, dude. Fingers they, crossed, just, man. Yeah. I really Canon, hope that comes. We out. love you, but. Also, we yeah. don't. If you could pick up the pace a little bit, that would be awesome. It'd be so great. Love like, that. we love using your stuff, but, like, catch up. Please. Please. Before we switch. Low light and a an, an box cinema camera. What are you referring to? Huh? Are you saying you're switching this? <laughs> don't you to dare. the brand that must not be named? Um, hey. Hey. <laughs> 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 Um, okay. Sony. <laughs> you sound like a real Potterhead over there. That's crazy, man. <laughs> it's my secret life. <laughs> okay, so all of the, yes. the rehouse Canon's rangefinders were just magical. Oh, they were so we had, good, man. Uh, what was the widest? We had a, a, a 20? 
think the widest. We need a 24. I think the widest was a 24. 24, 35, 50, 90. I'm getting it confused with beans. With set. beans are lenses. Yeah. I think it was, there were six in six total. Six primes. Or five. I think there was like a 135 that we didn't really use, or maybe once. Um, we mainly shot everything. I feel like we stayed between 24 to 50 for most stuff. We used an 80, the 85 a good bit for yes. some tighter stuff to like blow out the background. But the one that we both loved, I think unanimously, was the 510. I think we're misremembering. Did we only have three lenses? No, we definitely because we had that case. I know, but yeah. I think we only had three in there. I think we only had 35, 50, and like a 90. We had it. We there did not six have lenses. six lenses. No, we didn't. Right? No, we're thinking. You're thinking of Beans Kit. Well, there is Beans Kit also, like a kit. but I think we did. Right? I. Oh, the case definitely was three and three, but maybe it wasn't filled all the way. I think we only had three or four lenses. Maybe yeah. it was four. Yeah. It was anywhere from four to eight lenses, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Sounds about right. I'm pretty sure it was four lenses. Four lenses. Yeah. Twenty-four, thirty-five, fifty. That's what it was. It was 85. 24, 35, 50, and then like a 90. Yeah, we 90. definitely had like a telephoto one that we used. Yes, that which we was didn't great. use it. No, no, no. It was 100. It was 100. Yes. Yeah, that's what it was. It was 100. Sorry, yes. this is not good we, podcast <laughs> right now. You had a great time listening to us <laughs> work through all of that. Boy the great math. thing is like we, we stuck on the 35 and 50 90% of the time. Yeah. And the 50 opened all the way to 1.0. Dude, the 510 is a freak. I think they nicknamed it the Dream Lens. Yeah. Because it's, oh my gosh, it was incredible. And you, you might be tempted to shoot it at 1.0 all the time, but Don't we very, do that. very rarely did. <laughs> it like was The only time I could think was in my upstairs office at my house. Yep. That was very on purpose. Was I was, so was going to say, like, 5110, super cool. Yeah, do not. It absolutely the the hair's width of zone you that you have is it's ridiculous but because of the nature of this film it actually suited our needs perfectly yes. because we had a lot of dream sequences that we needed to shoot so having some softness or slight out of focusness was totally acceptable that just felt obscure yes and as well i think it actually kind of saved us in some scenarios where we didn't have time to light things exactly like we wanted yes so being able to just say all right you know what we're going to commit to a super shallow look we're going to throw it open 1.0 and just embrace whatever that looks like because we get have an to. image that looks interesting and then move on because at the end of the day you really just have to keep moving yep. throughout everything mm -hmm. that lens was awesome loved using that we already touched on one of our main lights, which was the 1200D Pro. Mm -hmm. But what were the other ones that we used? We used uh, a couple 300Xs. Because those are the ones we have in studio. They're bicolor, not as strong, but having um, having the versatility of bicolor was really great. Also, uh, just an, a regular Aperture 120D. Um, really only used that for fill ever. Did we use it at all? I don't think we even did. I don't think we did. It was mostly 300X and 1200D. Yep, and then MCs. And then like in, in the bar, we used a huge scrim yes. and just bounced the 1200D, no, no 300X, 300X off of a 12 by. Yeah. Um, just to give like really soft light. Yeah, that was awesome. That looked phenomenal. That was a huge uh, win for bicolor. Just yes. being able to match it to exactly what we wanted interior wise was awesome. Um, spotlight attachment that we own was a huge piece of equipment as well, especially for the underwater sequence. And anytime we needed to just focus that light. Um, great. And then the Aperture MCs, man. The little guys. Oh my gosh. They're like 90 bucks and they're the best thing to have on any set ever. So versatile. They get used on like legit Hollywood productions all the time. Yep. Like they're, they're like going, so going good. to like Patrick Tommaso's lamp video. Yeah. Yeah. We have these like globe lamps in the studio mm -hmm. that are just a sphere of diffusion. Mm -hmm. And we brought a few of those on set and in the bar, we didn't oh, know yeah. what to put in there because the bulb was too strong. It yep. was like clipping. Yep. And so we threw an MC, we took it off of the light fixture mm -hmm. and then it didn't even have a cord. And yep. then we just threw an MC inside of it and then dimmed it down. And it was like chef's kiss. Looked perfect. You could Plus, just stick them anywhere. You stick them anywhere. And if you're shooting in an environment that you want practical lights, but the practicals that are 
literally practical like the refresh rate is weird you're getting flickering yep. whatever like you just throw the MCs it out. wherever it is and it's just it's perfect you can control it so nicely and being able to sync all of it with the um Citus app is amazing as and well and i got it we got there too late but i ordered i think it's up here right now i ordered um nd oh yeah like actual sheets of nd sheets of nd to wrap around yeah the it's bolts, like a lewis, right? lewis yeah. potts trick yep. he he'll cut some out and then with tape just like make a cylinder and like place it over light bulbs to yeah. bring the the level down that's really clever and that's never that's something i've never really thought about but yep. so much of filmmaking is not necessarily relying on your 17 plus stops of dynamic range <laughs> yeah but balancing the scene lighting wise to not have to utilize the crazy dynamic range of the camera yes only utilize that thing if you have to but if you have the time and resources to bring the level of all the lighting in your scene to between 20 and 80 yep. like that's always gonna that. look better than great dynamic range it is. like whatever it is like you could have a you take the v raptor and have no lighting for anything mm -hmm. that's gonna look worse than a budget cinema camera but and just great the, lighting just the difference of like a hot spot and a light bulb it's not being blown out versus being blown out it's mm -hmm. You, the normal person isn't going to look at that and notice any difference, but it brings so much value yes. visually yep. to the scene. Looked amazing. Last two pieces of gear that we'll touch on, and kind of briefly, um, audio. How did audio go, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> it was run and gun, it I'll was, tell you that. It was very run and gun. Um, but listening back to some of the edits he's already made from scenes, I'm like... Sounds pretty dang good. It doesn't and sound not even bad. Mastered yet. Yeah, which is yeah, which is nice. I I I have high hopes because I think we've done it enough to where we didn't like royally screw up at any point. But I'm saying us because we didn't have a sound person on set. That, that more than the camera was where I was like, I really wish we had something we yeah. used before. Yes. Because we got it and we're like, are we missing pieces? I wish we had a human. Who just knew. Who just did audio. I think that was probably the biggest... Pain point. Pain point in general was like... It was we, so secondary. We just needed the budget for a sound person. Yeah. Truly. Um, because it, it's not our wheelhouse. We, we made it work. Yeah. And it doesn't sound bad. Yeah. But it's not our wheelhouse. You and I both boomed. Chad boomed. Isaac boomed. C-stands um, boomed. C-stands boomed. Like, it, it was not our area of expertise. Monitoring, recording, everything was just not... It didn't feel super fluid. Um, we recorded everything on a Zoom F4, uh, which is a since discontinued um, uh, unit from Zoom that's a field recorder. So yep. by that, I mean it's designed to sit in an audio bag It was on nice your to body. have that. That feature is amazing. The, the physical design of it was perfect. Didn't love that it wasn't 32-bit, only because, again, with running gun, 32-bit would have been hugely helpful. It's not going to save you or make your audio sound better, but it is going to give you flexibility if you are clipping accidentally because, again, we don't know what we're really doing. So if that does happen, you can save it. But that was all attached to an Array carbon fiber boom pole and Rode NTG4+. Plus. Um, the whole setup was like very good. You can get very good audio out of it. It was just our inexperience with it and that extra thing for us to also be responsible for that was pretty difficult on top of all of the other duties that we had. Yeah. And in a pinch, he sometimes used a Tascam DR10L. Yes. Yeah, that's right. A yep. few times. I think on the very first day for some of the biking sequences and uh, some of the dream sequences as well, just kept like a lav on yep. body, which was nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, Keep it on his body. It's a reference in the film. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That's a, just an inside joke for Steven. But... Transportation, the final piece, uh, we rented a nine-foot van from U-Haul, which was a non-negotiable for us. Yes. Uh, we basically were just like, I knew how chaotic it would be if we were going to try to fill our cars with gear, just especially with like having a 12 by scrim, like yeah. that kind of stuff was like... That doesn't fit anywhere. No, we'd have to like hang it out a window. So there's just certain things where you're like, can't cut corners here. So was it a 12 by? It couldn't have been. Yeah. It was. It went through the middle seats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, no, I'm sorry. It, it was, was an eight a, by. It was an eight by. It was eight. Cause we only got a nine foot van. Right. Okay. So scratch 12 <laughs> by in the bar. It Anytime was, we said 12 by, like, it was eight wait, by. It was a nine foot van. Yeah. Yeah. So even still, like I, that 
wouldn't fit comfortably in my RAV4. And then, and then you're suddenly taking three cars. Oh, they're cleaning cars. the hallways again. Oh, nice. my. Wow. Okay. What is it? It's, it's Wednesday at when, 11 a.m. Okay. That's when they clean. We're not going to record rally caps on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. If, if that's the consistent time. That <laughs> they've, this is the second time it's happened, so that's real fun. That's all right. We'll, we'll get through it. And just give me an ongoing thing all year. Yeah. We're like, oh, the cleaners are here again. We'll interview them at the end of the year. So the, the I mean, obviously you'd want something um, like Carlos. Like a halftime or yeah, That has like van. hooks and stuff on the side for your C-stands. I mean, we just had to throw everything in there. Bro, I think I'll, I definitely have a photo I can throw up here of the chaos that the back of the van was. Because as clutch as it was to have one place where we could put everything... It was a mess back oh, there yeah. all the time. Isaac and I rode back in it after the bar scene <laughs> oh the first gosh, night. Oh my gosh, that's right. And that yeah. was a little horrifying. Yeah. Um, but that was a really nice way to save a little bit of money. It's so affordable. It was so it was stupidly affordable. I think over all, the course of nine days. All in, it was around 500 bucks. 550. Not including gas. Not including gas. Yeah. So. And you were stuck in that thing for two and a half hours one morning. Oh, I can't even traffic. talk about that, man. That was. That was a very. That was probably one of the most brutal days of production. That was my least favorite day of production. That was really tough mentally. That was so draining. We got put so far behind because of a crazy accident that happened in Chicago, and Stephen yeah. didn't get there for like two, two and a half hours. That was very unfortunate. Feel very bad for what happened, but yeah, it. it, it yeah, royally screwed up. I'm sure a lot of people's days because the traffic was like all basically Lakeshore Drive, which is a main, main commuter drag in Chicago, was closed because of an accident that had happened. And for like four, five, six hours or something, it was completely closed. So all Brutal. all traffic, morning commuter traffic got pushed over <laughs> to the left. And that's what I got caught in coming down from where my apartment is. And the city. that was one of those locations where we were, we were renting mm -hmm. a whole, essentially a whole floor of a high rise office in mm -hmm. Chicago. So we got to the end of production day and we still had so much to do. And we were like basically getting asked to leave and everyone was leaving the floor. And we're like, the security mm -hmm. in this place was really tight. Mm -hmm. And we just had to like sprint finish at the end while Jay was kind of like trying to stall. Stall. I mean, that, that's what it came down to. We of got all it done. days, that was the worst day for something like that to happen because that was truly the hard out day. Yes. All the other locations, we yeah. had some wiggle room. That's that tough. was the one day where it was like, you, you can't redo cannot it. stay. And you can't redo it. And you cannot redo it. You don't have time. No. Everyone's there and they have flights going out and yeah. you're just like, Got to make it happen. Yeah. It would have normally been like a 45-minute drive for me in this two and a half hours. To Jay's credit, he's really flexible in those situations where he's like, if we can't make it happen, we'll figure something else out. Yeah. And that's where it's nice to have our studio because we could turn it into some sort of dream sequence or like mm -hmm. sort of change the script or whatever. Obviously not ideal. And not ideal from a DP's perspective because being rushed in those circumstances, you're like... All right, kick the 300X in the ceiling and just go. Like, yeah. go, go, go. Yep. And because that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. You can't shape the light. You can't bring negative in. You can't do all these extra things you normally would want to do. Yep. I think that's really what happened probably on Danny's set where he was like, yeah. the first DP he had to let go was like, I want it to look this way and I need this much time. He's like, we don't have it. Yeah. It's 4 a.m. We just have to go. We like, we have to yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah. This feels like an appropriate time to move into part three, which yep. is lessons yes. that we learned. This is perfect. <laughs> Natural. <laughs> Um, man, yeah, just reflecting on, on everything. I don't even know where to start necessarily, but to continue. <laughs> Number on. one, oh boy, where do we start? <laughs> ha ha. I that like was, you was... added ha ha on the notes. <laughs> Good one. Well, I did that so that you and Chad, if you were reading it, were like, oh my God, is Steven, what's wrong with him? He seems he really PO'd today. Um, yeah, oh, man. There's a million things you'd change in your first indie film. Oh, there's a and million things. we knew things. we would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... It's not ours. No. Jay's. But first time doing something like this and taking it on, like, I, I think it was a truly crash course in doing something like this. And I think having a spirit of willingness to just go and determination to finish it is hugely important for something like this because it is so taxing to, to do it with... People, the amount of people, I should say, that we did it with, like, 
it should have been impossible on paper, I yes. think, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah. Is like the, we, It feels like we kind of pulled off the impossible Very in much doing so. it the way that we did it. Yes. Yeah, I, I know we're going to get into thoughts about what we want to do in the future, but for me, the biggest thing I pulled away was it's got to be a very, very specific opportunity for us to do something like this again. Uh, as far as like what is guaranteed pay. Yeah. Uh, and what, like how big of an opportunity it is. And that might feel really superficial, but it like that was really hard for me because I had just come off Chicago Marathon, yep. which was demanding a lot of my time. October ended up being the most, the craziest month for us in our careers uh, ever because I mean, there were other things sandwiching rerun yep. and we had one full week committed to it. And it was like, you have to drop everything else, everything, everything. And I mean, I also said, let's bring it to Chicago because I don't want to be away from my family, but it, like, it just ended up being like, I'm, I might as well just be gone. Yeah. You're, you're sleeping at home every night, but you're not there. It was nice to like be at home and they got to be on set. Like my kids got to see yeah. this. That was really cool. That was cool. And so there were moments like that where I'm like, okay, great. I'm glad we made this decision because I'm getting, getting to experience this stuff with them. Mm -hmm. And I am still seeing them like some mornings, some evenings. And you don't have that level of homesickness that can sink in when yes. you're away. Yes. Like going back to a hotel room every night would yes. have been, oh, we, I, so much worse. I would have left. There was one, there, <laughs> there was been, one night oh. where like you only slept for two hours, I think. Uh, yes. That was before, oh. that was before the night you got, that was before you got stuck <laughs> yeah. in traffic. Yes. Wait. Oh my gosh. That's right. I forgot about that. Cause we went so late the night before, I think. We went, oh yeah. Cause it was the bar sequence. Yeah. Dropped everything off at the studio. Went back. I can't, there was something that was happening at our apartment that I was like, it was keeping us up all night. No, you got locked out of your apartment. Because we wrapped three hours later than we expected to, and Laura fell asleep. Yeah, and she was going. She was going to be the one. She was like, "Oh, well, like I'll stay up for you because, like, you know, probably get home by ten, and I'll just let you in when you get here." We're like, "Oh, great, game plan done. Team on three. One, two. Did you make an extra key after that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have a. <laughs> I, I put a, a fake rock in our back uh, stairwell, nice, nice. so no one's gonna know. Oh, where do you live? <laughs> <clears throat> Albany, New York. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, dude, I forgot about that. Actually, that's that that is also why that day was so miserable. Yeah, because you were like you basically committed to like I'm gonna sleep in the staircase tonight, and then and then Laura woke up. Yeah, but yeah, I oh I was I and was, then you only got a couple hours of sleep. I was in a dark place because I was up. I think I woke up at five thirty. Oh yeah. And then got Oof. stuck in a van. And got stuck in a van for it's two and a half. Dude, I thought, oh my gosh, I thought I was going to lose my mind. Yeah. I was getting like legitimately claustrophobic in there. Yeah, that's scary. It was so, because like the traffic that there was like bumper to bumper. And then you have to go to set and just like. <laughs> all right, let's make a movie Hard now. work <laughs> yeah, was, all day. That was, that was pretty tough. Pretty yeah. brutal. Um, yeah. So for me, it's like if, if someone saw this thing, saw the doc, these big projects we've been working on, they're like, I really like what you did, whatever part of it, I want to hire you. For you, what would it take for you to just be like, I'll consider it? Oof. We're talking 20 plus days of production. Yeah. I think I'd have to really believe in the idea and really believe in the team. Are you saying you would you would do it for experience again? No. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying first and foremost. Because, like, I, in reverse, I wouldn't do it just for a paycheck. Gotcha. I would have to, it would first need to be, you like. You wouldn't do it just for a paycheck? No. You what can't what say we that. did? Yeah. What if someone like, came to you and they're like six figures, boom? Oh, well, that's a different story. That's what I mean. If someone's like, here's a hundred grand to DP my film. Yeah. For 45 days. Yeah, I'd absolutely do it. Really? I would also train like crazy leading up to it. Cause I certainly don't feel like I deserve that much money for DPing something. That's 45 days of like 12 hour days. Man, a month and a half of work, hundred K that's, that's pretty sick. 
you got to think about how much that's going to deplete you. Oh, yeah. It would and just, and I would take the rest of the year off. <laughs> or maybe it's 45 years spread over... 45 years? 45 days. Oh, it got to be way more than 100K. <laughs> <laughs> 45 days spanned over like four one-month stretches sporadically. Okay, so it's not just consecutive. Yeah. Like it caused you to have to cut out entire months of your year. This is getting really specific. Yeah. And what shoes am I allowed to wear? <laughs> no, you, you know. Can wear I, the sweater you wore in the beginning I, of this podcast. Oh, definitely then. Yeah. That sounds like a sweaty experience. <laughs> um, you know, I think if it were to take up more than just those 45 consecutive days. I think if it's consecutive, I would definitely consider it. I would, I would love to do it. Um, I think the question is more for me whether or not I'd feel capable of earning my keep in that sense for that. If it was 45 days of production but spread out over six months, um, I no. Right. De de definitely not, actually. That's, that's, a a, huge, that's a definite no. It's a huge investment into... You're basically then saying like, I want this to be my career now. Yeah. Because it's not allowing you to pursue any of the things you've been building yeah. for the past four years. And I, I don't want it to be my career, honestly. Same. Like, I really don't. I think dream scenario, if I were to do something like this again, I think I would honestly prefer to be a set photographer on a trusted friend's set. Almost like, if, like we have a friend that maybe might do that, who might be listening. Maybe. Who will say... Which friend is that? We won't say. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Wink. Uh, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> There's no one. Uh, <laughs> no, but like, sincerely, I think like, we've talked about this before too. If like Danny and Carlo approached us. Yeah. And they were like, yo, we're making, I think I'm sick too. <laughs> I think I'm sicker. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I'm sicker than you. Uh, I think I'm the sickest. I think I'm the sickest. That's part three. Um, <laughs> no, but if they were like, we have like Danny's got, you know, I'm sure he has other scripts in mind and stuff. And you know, the two of them collaborate on yes. a project again. I would, I would drop a lot of other different things to give up like a month to go and be in it with them. Mm. And specifically to do set photography. Mm -hmm. I would love like, love to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. How about you? It'd have to be basically everything you said. I'd have to yeah. really believe in the project. The mm -hmm. paycheck would have to be, I'd have to, yeah, be guaranteed and maybe similarly like an, an equity deal of sorts, mm -hmm. depending on how large the film is. Yeah. If it was like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, we're like, we got asked to, to like be an instrumental part on a set that's like, of way higher caliber than we ever imagined. Mm -hmm. Maybe consider that just for the sake of connection and experience. Yeah. Uh, but in that sense too, like I would expect a production like that to also pay and oh, pay yeah. for my time because the more and more I get into the depths of my creative career and now it's becoming even more, even more diversified. I'm just like, my time is so insanely valuable to mm -hmm. me. First and foremost on a personal level and it's going to have to take a lot for me to sacrifice that time away from my family, knowing that I absolutely don't need a job like that yeah. in order to provide for my family. So that begs the question, do I keep doing small things now? And then maybe when my kids are fully grown and I'm in my forties mm. and I'm pursuing work like that, that's a very real possibility. Yeah. I'll have a ton of connections at that point. My kids will all be fully grown and I'll still have maybe 20 more years left in my career. And I, that's the long game I like to think about because those are the, that's the age that people are doing those things. Oh yeah. You know, and if my wife's okay with it at that point, you know, maybe we could travel together. She could be on set or, you know, it, obviously I'm nowhere near at that time of my life, but I'm not super interested in it right now. Whereas I know a lot of other people, it's like their dream right now. Yep. You think of specific scenarios like Danny's like, they don't have any kids, you know. I don't know if they're interested in having having any kids. You know, it's like that's at play. That's yeah. that's a huge component of it. Oh, absolutely. And I look at Carlo and he's very much wanting to be a father, yeah. you know, and but also super young. Yes. Like he already has a feature under his belt, like yes. an award-winning feature under his belt. He's yep. 25. Mm -hmm. 20, 25. So he's going to have tons of opportunities, but yeah. then he's going to need to balance, okay, well, 40 days on set. Yep. 
being away from family, like that needs to, that needs to be worth it. Everything needs to add up. Because he's crazy diversified as well. Oh yeah. He can make tons of money on commercial sets and renting his, his van and now his podcast. And yeah. So. Yeah. And maybe that's just the rhythm that they established for their family. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, dad's actually gone for this month, but then he's back for a month and he's just chilling. There. Yeah. Because he is earning enough for each gig. Chill. He's just home. Yeah. He's hanging out. That's where I fear because like it's very hard for me to just like be gone. Do nothing. No, it's oh, hard to for me do to do nothing. nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. I would I'm I'm realizing this about myself that I'm a much more present husband and father if I'm consistently able to do things. Yeah. Um I'm not talking like I can't spend a week on vacation. I can do that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But if I were to have to do no work for two months, I would probably get depressed. I would lose my mind. Yeah. I yeah. like I have this insatiable need to so just make things. Yeah. So Yeah, whether or not it's like paid work, so to speak. Just like just make stuff. Yeah. Just create anything. That would be that's that's an impossible thing to stop. There, there is no way for us to just st- – because that's just who we are. And so, I think most artists would feel the same way. It's like, oh, you just have to stop stop creating things for two months. It's like, that's impossible. <laughs> that's just who I am, you know? Right, because even if you had a sabbatical, like I would probably just be like watercolor painting. Yeah, or, you anything. Know, like, making music or – Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll just find something else that isn't what I do for work right. and just create in that way instead. So, but to the argument against like what you were saying is just like, oh, then you're not fully present with your family. You know, like yeah. – that's what I'm saying here is like I can still be like very much present at home. Yeah. And like within the boundaries and times we've allotted for me to be at home while still pursuing work. But I'm not afforded that luxury when I'm gone for an extended amount of time and then have to come back and like make up for lost time in a sense, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, the Toronto trip. Yeah. I mean, the doc is that's what really messed me up a lot we were gone so much in big chunks of time and then when i got home i couldn't like make up for lost time right and so that's the same thing for documentary work i'm like i don't know if i could ever sign up for that again i'm much more interested in hiring people that have the capability of doing that and then directing from afar and then going to set every once in a while Mm. but then hiring trusted people that we know and the connections we've made to go do a project like that Mm -hmm. and then just be like orchestrating it Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's where we could thrive. Yeah. And this is just our pitch deck to whoever's listening. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is that why you're wearing that hoodie? I am wearing it. That's true. <laughs> He's hey, wearing Mark. The, the AOD hoodie. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for the gift, bud. Um, Steven, what am I wearing? Dude. <laughs> I didn't even realize what you're wearing. Hey, are you wearing are you wearing oh, one of th- one of one hundred? Dude, Get bored was, and make stuff t-shirts? That was so unplanned. That was crazy, man. Do we make and sell that stuff in you, the description I think below? We do. That's crazy, man. It's almost like the topic we were talking about about having an insatiable need to make <laughs> things, even when you're bored. Yeah, it's true. Especially when you're bored. Sometimes bored. boredom make stuff.com. Yeah. Do you want to, it's in the description. It's in the description. And hey, if you're listening to this right now, Rallycaps members have an eternal 10% coupon. So Rallycaps10 at checkout, pick up some Get Bored Make Stuff merch. Get some merch. Eventually it's going to be other things. So just keep yep. an eye out for that and yep. keep your hand on the finger on the pulse. Keep your hand on your finger and your finger on the pulse. I think that's a good place to stop. That seems about right. We're starting to unravel. Man, um, we did the ad read all the way at the end like you're not supposed to do. Just Yeah, and ad read <laughs> for our own stuff, too. Because That's fun. Because we are, I, like I think, in general, trying to not, at this point in time, have other external sponsors on the show. So we might. At some point... Probably, hopefully, if it's a hundred thousand dollars. Well, if that's well, yeah, <laughs> Squarespace. Hey, my <laughs> inbox is open. Um, but until then, we're just trying to self-fund the show by making stuff that we really enjoy and thoroughly love. So, if you want to rep the brand by getting some Get Bored Make Stuff T-shirts or some digital assets or some free iPhone wallpapers that are on the mm. site right now, go pick those up. Mm-hmm. And you can also use Rallycaps Ten to get ten percent off your purchase. So. While we're plugging stuff, if you didn't hear the intro or skipped over it for some reason, 
If you could leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, we'd love to push the show out to more people. Uh, and that is a huge way of getting it out there. More reviews, more ratings. And if you're watching this on YouTube right now, like beautiful, it. beautiful multicam setup we got going on. Comment. Yeah, like, comment. Uh, Subscribe. Com- how about, what, what should we tell them to comment to know that they made it to the end? Uh, what's your favorite flower? Tell us your favorite flower in the description. Load it up. Roses, daffodils, peonies, anything. And what then, did you just say? <laughs> are we going to get demonetized? <laughs> And then we'll just fill the comment section up with flowers, and no one's going to know why. Thank Unless you for listening oh, to the end. For all the way till the end. <laughs> Thank you. Um, that was a clunky bye. That was a clunky bye. Ah, dang it. But okay. Uh, we love you. Love you. See you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.